up here. Um, so in 10 years, I don't think I've ever seen my wife impromptu call someone to play the tambourine, to clap their hands in front of the church, and to call someone from the audience to play the keyboard. So I can guarantee that was not planned. I was as shocked as you are. But it all worked out all right. And Sister Rita still got it. So uh, as long, I'm going to just stay in the same vein of things that we haven't typically done. <laughs> and tonight, it's almost like somebody knew we have a smaller crowd than normal on a Wednesday. It's almost like people knew I was going to mix it up. So uh, tonight, I don't think I have ever, I've showed a DVD before, like from a sermon or a conference. But I don't think I've ever streamed an interview. But this is Principles for Life and life principle teaching. And so this past week, the United Pentecostal Church International General Superintendent of the entire organization, he had an interview. He sat down and did an interview on the Holy Spirit and tongues. Next week, I'm going to talk. So this guy's a lot smarter than me, but we'll get back to me next week. But next week, I'm going to talk about the fact, uh, you know, we believe in speaking in tongues here. But do you have to continue? Does the Bible say we have to continue to speak in tongues to make it to heaven? So we're going to look at scripturally what that says. So make sure you come back and see what the Bible says about that topic. But for tonight, this lays an incredible foundation for the spirit and tongues. And Dr. David Bernard, if you don't know, our general superintendent probably has 13 degrees or something like that. He's brilliant, one of probably the most brilliant human being that I've ever personally come in contact with. Um, and he just breaks it down. He looks at scripture, the first century, he answers questions. And so it's a different setting tonight. He's not really preaching, but he's teaching. But the, the information that he's going to share, if you have never been filled with the Spirit, it is going to make it so clear for you. If you have been filled with the Spirit, it's good that you know this so that you know how to explain it to someone else because there are so many different beliefs about the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, the infilling of the Spirit, the necessity of tongues. Tongues is a gift. Was it just for the first century? Is it, and so he just does a great job breaking it down through the lens of society, theology, scripture, common sense. And uh, so I just know that I could not do that justice. So I just tonight want to show you that interview. Amen? Is that all good? If it's not, you're like, well, I'm here. I can't walk out at this point. I mean, you could, but you should at least wait till the, de the, the stream starts because otherwise we'll know. So anyway, let's pray that our hearts and minds will be open. God, as we watch this, Lord, that you would just really, really speak to us. Help things to become clear to us. Lord, things that we don't understand, make them clear through your word, through the teaching that Brother Bernard offers in this interview. And so, God, I just pray that, Lord, I just believe that if someone's here tonight that needs the Spirit, we could wrap this session up with someone receiving the Spirit. And so I'm just so grateful that you're still pouring out your Spirit upon all flesh. And so, God, I just pray, let our hearts and minds be open in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, welcome, everyone, to today's live conversation with uh, General and Superintendent David K. Bernard. And uh, today our topic is the Holy Spirit and tongues. And uh, so we're glad to have you all with us. Uh, 
Brother Bernard, would you share with us uh, a little bit of why you think this is an important topic? Certainly. It's great okay. to be with you today. Yes. And, of course, we are Pentecostals, and yes. so our distinctive uh, doctrine and experience is the baptism of the Holy Ghost, or mm -hmm. the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we believe it's accompanied by the initial sign of speaking in tongues. So this goes to the very core right. of our identity, uh, right. our doctrine, and also our experience. This is one of the key things that mm -hmm. makes us different from all of the groups in Christianity. Uh, yes. So I think it's well worth uh, discussion. Right. right. I think it is. And, and I agree that this is core. And it's one of those interesting areas where we have a lot of shared identity with other Pentecostal groups but also some distinctives. Uh, and so I think it's important to kind of parse that out and And, and, and let that. me uh, just interject right at this moment. Yeah. All Christians of, say, Catholic, Protestant, sure. so forth, will agree in theory or in principle that you mm -hmm. must be filled with the Holy Spirit to be born again, right. to be saved. So we, Oneness Pentecostal, shared that theory or theology right. that the Holy Spirit is part of conversion, part of salvation, part of new birth, mm -hmm part of Christian initiation, whatever right. term you want to use. But what's interesting, the Trinitarian Pentecostals who share an experience with us, they would say it's a second post-conversional optional experience. So we stand in common with most of Christianity and the evangelicals and so on in saying, no, the right. experience of the Holy Spirit essential. is essential and part mm -hmm. of salvation. But then mm -hmm. we stand with the Trinitarian Pentecostals to say, it is a real experience. It's right. not just um, something that happens automatically when you're baptized, right. like the Catholics say, or it happens automatically when you confess Jesus as your personal Savior, Savior like sure. the evangelical Protestants sure. say. It's a real, definite right. experience, just as found in the New Testament. You do expect the miraculous sign right. of tongues to accompany it. So we're actually kind of in the middle, yeah. and yes, I would argue yes. we are the correct yes, if you bring want to call together, it bringing bring together, together of yes. the. Uh, the, the non-Pentecostals who say you must have the Spirit, right. and the Trinitarian Pentecostals who say you must have an experience, an experience of yeah, the Spirit. An and we say, experience. yes, yes. <laughs> right, exactly. That's um, so let's begin, let's begin kind of at a basic level real quick, um, but let's just kind of briefly take us through the book of Acts and how okay. the book of Acts establishes tongues as the sign of the initial infilling of the Holy Ghost. I'm, I'm sure that you know many of our uh, many members of our audience have know this like back of yeah. their hand, but let's yeah. use that as our baseline. Well, I think it's important to take a look. Um, when we look at that, we need, believe the whole Bible is inspired of God. Right. We believe all the New Testament, particularly, is the basis for the church today, that we think we are the New Testament church. Right. We also would regard uh, Luke Acts, actually one-fourth of the New Testament is Luke Acts, mm -hmm. and it's meant to be read as a whole. And uh, while it is biography and theology, it's not biography and theology in the modern, biography and history. Sure. It's not biography and history in the modern sense. It really is theology. In other mm -hmm. words, uh, first of all, we believe Luke, the author, was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So right. it's really God's agenda we're talking about. Right. Not just a man's theology. But history becomes the method of teaching theology. So mm -hmm. a lot of non-Pentecostals, they kind of write off the book of Acts, and, and really they would have to write off the Gospels on the same basis. But what I say by that is they kind of discount the theological value, right. saying, oh, well, it's not in a teaching format. It's just history, just what happened. Right. And my response would be, wait a minute. 
it's history told for a purpose. Right. And not only Luke's purpose, but God's purpose. Right. And the stories are carefully selected for uh, their teaching value right. and for right. their precedential value. Yeah. The book of Acts openly presents the early church and the apostles as the role model for us. It's right. very intentional in right. doing that. Right. So, with that in mind, of course, I would argue, and I'm taking a little time here because I think this is the key question. Um, now, we believe our, Bible, our doctrine is supported by the whole Bible. So the Old Testament gives us prophecy, promise, typology. The Gospels give us the foundation when it comes to uh, New Testament conversion. You see it, the, right, uh, the preaching of John the Baptist. You see it in the teaching of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Everything we say about faith, repentance, water baptism, the Holy Spirit, it's there in the Gospels. Right. But And throughout the epistles, you have references back to our initial conversion experience. Nevertheless, it is true that the book of Acts contains in the whole Bible the most specific, explicit accounts of actually how people came into the, the church, church, the right. New Testament church, and how local churches were established. Right. And Acts 2 is particularly critical because it is the birthday of the New Testament church. Mm -hmm. It's the first outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's the direct fulfillment of the last prophecy and command of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And in Acts 2, you have all 12 apostles at the same place, at the same time, giving the same message. Peter preached, but it is stated all the 11 stood with him. They were endorsing it. And the question of what shall we do uh, was not a question of how do we receive blessings or anointing or power for missionary mm -hmm. service. It was specifically, we crucified the Messiah. We right. rejected him. Right. How can we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord? How can we be saved? saved. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because Peter had preached, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be, be saved. saved. Right. And so they're asking, how can we be forgiven of our sin of murdering it's the Messiah? It's a salvation message. Yes. Yeah. And so yeah. here you have, and they said men and brethren. Mm -hmm. So they were conscious that they were not only asking one man's opinion, they were asking the leadership of the church. So to summarize, Acts 2 shows you, and it's really the only place in the whole Bible where it's so prominent. Right. All 12 apostles at the same place, the same time, answering the question of how to be saved. Right. Now, within that context, if you read the story, the 120 were waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They begin uh, to speak in tongues, which that was the initial sign. There were three signs. The sound of the wind, the, the flames of fire, mm -hmm. which we could talk about the significance of that. But the third sign was the first sign associated with the individual filling. They right. begin to speak with tongues. Right. Now, when this happened, it's called a crowd of people, people right. who had come from many nations to celebrate the, the Feast of Pentecost. They were Jews, so presumably they all spoke Greek, the common language. Mm -hmm. They may have all spoken Aramaic, which was mm -hmm. the language of the Jews. Right. Uh, and then they definitely spoke the language of their home countries. Right. But we would think they knew at least two languages because Peter was able to address them all in a common tongue. Right. So probably Greek. Greek. Mm -hmm. um, but then they knew the languages of their home countries. Right. So they're watching these Galileans and they're hearing them speak these languages. And some begin to marvel saying, wait a minute, they're obviously Galilean by the way they're dressed and yet they're speaking Latin or yet right. they're speaking Arabic or right. yet they're speaking the language of our country. 
this is amazing. This is right. a miracle. This right. is a fisherman speaking yes. <laughs> you know, yes. Latin. Yeah. What's going on here? Or right. Arabic. Who's never been to Rome. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. And then others are mocking. Mm -hmm. And these are probably the ones that didn't understand a particular language. So, well, they're babbling. They're, they're drunk. They're, they're talking right. nonsense. So some were marveling. Some were mocking. But notice they were directly responding to tongues. Mm -hmm. And they mm -hmm. said, what does this mean? What does it mean to see these people speaking these various languages right. or babbling in these various ways? So the Apostle Peter gets up with the others, 11, and he says, This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now notice this, it's a pointing word. This, mm -hmm. you're asking about tongues, right. is that, and he points the prophecy of Joel. Notice it's not a prophecy that mentions tongues. He didn't use, for example, Isaiah, which could have been 11, used. Right. Which Paul later used. Right. But he uses the statement from Joel, In the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Right. So if you want a direct answer to the question, what does tongues mean? Mm -hmm. The 12 apostles says, when you see someone speaking in tongues, what that means is they've received the Holy Spirit as prophesied by Joel. Right. That's a direct answer. Right. And sometimes I get people asking, well, if tongues is really the initial sign of the Holy Spirit, why doesn't the Bible just say so? You, sh you must speak in tongues. Tongues is the initial sign. Yeah. Well, that is does. assuming a Western <laughs> yes. construct that all teaching has to be in the format of point number one, right. point number two, propositional logic. Yes. I define my terms, I right. establish propositions, and I draw logical in right. inferences. And that is a valid way, it's a way I like. But that's not the only way. In fact, I would say throughout most cultures, including today, most of human history, most of the Bible, right. Uh, basically, that is not the way people right. learn. Most of the time, people learn by telling stories. Right. And most right. of the Bible is narrative. The right. Old Testament, the Gospels, the book of right. Acts, Jesus' parables. Right. Most of the time, you teach the truth, you establish a point by a story. Mm -hmm. So I can imagine if we went to Luke and said, now Luke, you're the writer here, why didn't you just say? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You will know when you receive the Holy Ghost, you will speak in tongues. I would imagine, first of all, Luke wouldn't even understand the question. Right. He'd be like, I mean? did that. I, yeah. I told the whole story. Why do you think I told the story? Yeah, yeah. But if you finally explained to him, he would say, well, you know, I'm a physician. I'm a traveling companion of Paul. And people may or may not want to know my opinion. Right. But if you want the definitive answer, this is what I did. I told the story. It's a true story. But I put the question in the mouths of the onlookers. Right. And I put the answer in the mouth of the 12 apostles. I right. thought that would be... The yeah. definitive way to establish doctrine. Right. So what the 12 apostles answer is, when you see someone speaking in tongues, you will now know they have received the yeah. Holy Spirit. Yeah. So Spirit. that is right. exactly what we teach. Now right. that's only the first, I didn't cover all yeah. the evidence, I'd cover the introductory. <laughs> right, right. And we see that pattern yes. repeated in Acts 10, Acts 19, and then also by inference in Acts 8. Acts where yes. Those yeah, and so, so if you right. want me to elaborate on this, if you want to be very yeah. specific, there are exactly five places in the Bible that describe someone receiving the Holy Spirit as initial experience, right. as entering the church. Now, there are many, many references to subsequent experiences, say mm -hmm. throughout Acts. There are many references to pre-Pentecostal moves of God, right. the Old Testament, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, but if you're talking about receiving the Holy Spirit to enter the New Testament church, that right. specifically, you've got exactly five examples in the Bible. Mm -hmm. in, the, in the epistles, of course, you have many references to being filled with the Spirit when people were filled with the Spirit. But again, 
the five examples. So Acts 2 is the one I've just discussed. Uh, the next one of supreme significance would be Acts 10, Cornelius and the Gentiles. And what's significant about this story is Peter goes and preaches to the Gentiles, this, this household, and he's reluctant to do so because in his theology, salvation is of the Jews. So really, if he were approached by a Gentile, how can I join the church? He would probably say, well, you know, you need to get circumcised. Right. You need to go ahead and convert to Judaism. Become a proselyte. Become then, a proselyte. Then we're going right. to preach to you, and then you're going to do this and this and this. Right. But because God gave him instructions and a vision three times, <laughs> he decided, okay, I'll go right. preach for these unconverted Gentiles. Mm -hmm. He took Jewish Christians with him as witnesses because right. I think he had enough sense to know, you know, this is breaking precedent. Right. I've got to be sure mm -hmm. I've got witnesses. Right. Now, while Peter was preaching about Jesus, the Holy Spirit fell and the whole group received the Holy Spirit began speaking in tongues. Right. Which it seems to me was shocking because he was probably expecting to finish his message and they asked, what should we do? And he was probably still thinking in terms of, well, here's how to become a proselyte. Right. Here's how to go through the process. Right. Then, uh, but all that was short-circuited because they, mm -hmm. here they were receiving the Holy Spirit. And the key thing, and they were shocked, they were surprised. Mm -hmm. But they had to admit it in spite of their theology, in spite of their own tradition, their own experience, their own presuppositions. And here's the key statement, Acts 10, 46. For they heard them speak with tongues and right. magnify God. Right. So you get the distinct impression, we have to admit it. We, right. we didn't think this was possible. We have, we we're forced to admit right. it because there is the visible sign that we know. Right. Right. And so you, you also get the idea of Cornelius had an interrupted message. Oh, I believe this. I feel excited. I feel great. Right. Have right. I received the Holy Spirit? He'd say, no. no. Or if he'd say, I accept Jesus as my Savior. I believe in Jesus. Right. I believe what you're saying. I, I too want to claim this. They're going to probably say, well, no. no. But when they saw them speaking in tongues, they have to say, well, yes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then Peter says, you know, we would normally baptize people like this. Can, we, can anybody find a reason to... God has filled with right. the Spirit. Can we deny it? No. And then in Acts 11, Paul has, Peter has to go back to Jerusalem and give an account because the mm -hmm. apostles and elders, the leadership, they've heard he went to the house of Gentiles, which breaks the tradition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is shocking, and they want to know. And he explains. And then he said, you know, when this happened, I remember what Jesus told us, that you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And and God gave them the same gift as He did to us when right. we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's Acts eleven fifteen through 17. And what leaps out at you is it's the very same experience. Right. Well, wait a minute. There's no sound of rushing mighty wind. There's no tongues like fire. The only point of identity is mm -hmm. speaking in tongues. Mm -hmm. But that was sufficient. So in Acts 10, you see it was necessary. Without it, they wouldn't have been convinced. Right. Now you see it's sufficient. If that's all you have, that's still enough. So it's right. both necessary and sufficient. Right. And notice the logic also, just like us at the beginning, which that's a very Pentecostal apostolic approach. It's not, well, there could be many different ways of encountering God. Right. And down through history, we may have come up with different versions. No, he's looking for at mm -hmm. the same as at the beginning. Yeah. And then the third thing I would point out is the same as us when we believed on Jesus Christ. So he's linking this not with some post-conversion experience, 
certainly not human works, as if tongues were your works. Right. He's saying this is what happened to us when we fully believed on right. Jesus. This is what we will expect to happen right. to everyone else when they fully believe So he's believe connecting it back to conversion. Right. To exactly. full conversion. Yeah. So Acts yeah. 10 is critical because it connects tongues as the necessary and sufficient sign. Right. It connects it to the day of Pentecost, and it connects it to faith in Jesus and, and conversion. Right. Now, the third account is Acts 19, right. the disciples of John at Ephesus. And they too, when they received the Holy Spirit, it specifically says they, they spoke with tongues. Now, uh, I've heard many people say or write, well, in the first instance, Acts 2, it was a precedent to announce that the Spirit had come. And so there had to be a miraculous sign of tongues. We shouldn't necessarily expect that in all subsequent events, just the first event. Well, then you come to Cornelius. Well, that's precedent setting because that's the first time the Gentiles received the Spirit. So Acts 2 introduces it to the Jews. Acts 10 introduces it to the Gentiles. But once the pattern is set or once the uh, ice is broken, you don't have to have every subsequent event. Well, my question then becomes, what's the precedent value of Acts 19? The mm -hmm. precedent value is this local group of people in Ephesus received the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So to me, this is just as great a precedent because what it says, every local group of believers, no matter how many years after Pentecost, right. no matter what distance, they should have the same expectation right. to link them back. So, you know, the evidentiary rule of the Old Testament, which the New Testament quotes mm -hmm. um, in the mouth of two or three, three witnesses. witnesses. And I think Luke was very intentional saying, I got to give you at least two key cases, and I'll give you a third, third. one for good mm -hmm. measure, right. that sets the pattern. Yeah, the yeah. I've met evidentiary standard. Has been met. Right. Now, you have, I said there were five, you have two more accounts. You have Acts 8, which does reference the Samaritans receiving the Spirit, but doesn't really describe it. Right. However, we know there was a definite sign. Right. And we know, if you look at, at Acts 8, Philip preached the Samaritans, they believed, Mm -hmm. They were baptized. I think we can right. safely say uh, repentance can be assumed mm -hmm. as a precondition. There was great joy. There were all kinds of miracles. But they knew they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. Right. So this contravenes all of Catholic and Protestant theology because Catholics will say, well, if you're baptized, you're filled with the Spirit. Protestants will say, if you confess Jesus, you're right. filled with the Spirit. So no, we're talking about something that's different. Right. It's identifiable. And so then the question becomes, well, how do they know it didn't happen yet? Right. How could they be so positive? No, you haven't received the Spirit. Right. And then Peter and John came to investigate. They laid hands on them. And the Bible says the moment they laid hands on them, they received the Spirit. So again, there must have been a sign because otherwise, how could you be so definitive? That one minute before, we know you haven't received the Spirit. Yes, you believe. Yes, you repent. Yes, you've been baptized. Yes, you have joy. Yes, you're testifying that God is working. But we know you haven't received mm -hmm. it. This next minute... Oh, we know you have received this. Right. And it's just because hands were laid on, that doesn't seem to fit the context. And, and, right. and here's the third point. We know it's not just the automatic laying on of hands because Simon, a sorcerer who, who was doing magic shows, he saw that and he said, I want to buy the ability to do what you just did. When I lay hands on people, I want them to have the same manifestation. Right. Now, what was he buying? Where people saying, I feel joy, I accept Jesus as my personal Savior. You would hardly want to pay money. Yeah. He had already witnessed that. Yeah. And he'd hardly pay right. money to say, hey, folks, I'm going to do you an amazing show. Stand up here. I'm going to lay hands on this person. Watch what happens. 
I accept Jesus. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Not really so spectacular. He yeah. saw something. Right. So there are three reasons why we know there was a definite miracle. They knew that they hadn't received the Spirit because they were waiting for it. Mm-hmm. They knew the moment they did receive the Spirit. And Simon wanted to buy the power to demonstrate. Right. Now, although it's not stated, the only miracle that, that we already have seen right. is tongues. So even a number of non-Pentecostal scholars will say... Mm-hmm. It's pretty clear when you put the evidence right. together. Right. There really is nothing else that would fit except that they spoke in tongues. The fifth statement is is Acts nine, which um, doesn't have a description at all. It says Paul would be filled with the Spirit, but it doesn't even go on to finish the story. Right. Um, Ananias was going to lay hands on him that he would receive the Spirit. We're just left to assume well, surely that happened. Right. And of course, by Paul's own confession. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. 1 right. Corinthians 14, 18. Well, and he spoke in tongues by the Spirit. When did he start? I would say when he received He's the Spirit. Right. Even if someone would say, well, it's subsequent. Still, you have, in all five cases, tongues is linked to the experience of receiving the Spirit. Right. So there is a uniformity. And I've heard some say, well, how do you know everyone will speak in tongues? Maybe some will, some won't. It could happen, but it doesn't always happen. I would just say, well, let's look at the example. Acts Two, 120 received the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't like 25 spoke in tongues, 25 prophesied, 25 right. Right. Uh, had ecstatic utterances right. of joy. Using the gift of healing right. or what have you. 120 yes. of 120 yes. spoke in tongues. Yeah. Cornelius and his household, I don't know how many there were. It's extended household, maybe 20 mm-hmm. people, 30 right. people. Sure. Well, 20 sure. out of 20 spoke yeah. in tongues. The disciples of John at Ephesus in Acts 19, 12 out of 12. Right. So it's not just randomly distrib- uh, distributed. It's not just right. a few here and there, or it could happen, or it might happen. Right. It's actually the consistent right. 100% pattern. Right. And, and uh, it was interesting, as you were talking about Acts 8 particularly, you know, there's a, they had joy. They believed. They had joy. They experienced miracles. Yes. So they were seeing supernatural they, they things were. already. Right. But there was something, it's almost as if Simon experiences kind of that same consternation that the first uh, audience in Acts 2, when yes. he saw them speak in tongues. It, it, it was a, a dramatic, him. yes. Yeah. So I, yeah, so it I, was think unique. It's, I think it's pretty cool to think about that. I mean, there's a lot of stuff, we, we've talked a little bit about Joel 2, one of the other things maybe to talk about, because I think one of the things to answer in this is, why did God choose tongues? We know there's many and it could be any number of manifestations of the Spirit. Why is it tongues yes. and not the flames, the flame of fire or the sound of the rushing mighty wind, those other signs we see in Acts? Is, is it just a sovereign choice, or is there kind of an inner biblical logic at work in this? Well, first of all, of course, when we talk about questions like that, I have to say, look, that's God's idea. Yeah, you know? exactly. He can so do what he wants to do. Sovereign and, choice and, is the and, ultimate and, answer. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, sometimes people ask, well, do I have to speak in tongues? Or why do you say everybody has right. to? And my response was, wait a minute. Hey, look, this is God's idea. I'm not saying you have to speak in tongues. <laughs> right, yeah. God chose yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. You know, when, when I prayed, I, right. and, and most of the time when we talk to people, we, we may not even mention tongues. Or if we do, we're just mentioning, well, you can, don't be surprised or, or surrender to this. But our main focus is have faith in Jesus, repent mm-hmm. of your sins, pray to Jesus. We don't tell people seek tongues or try to speak in tongues. We, we don't teach people how to speak in tongues. At the most, we might give instructions of, you know, surrender, make sure you speak out, don't clam, 
up. Don't, yeah, you know, yeah. don't hold clench your <laughs> mouth. You'll let it flow. But right. But um, and usually that's in the context when somebody may seem to be on the verge of speaking in tongues, but mm-hmm. not know how to surrender or open up. Right. But our focus uh, should always be on repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, not tongues. So it's really like, I'm not the one trying to speak in tongues. Sure. God did that. And I think that's very biblical because in Acts 2 and in Acts 10, mm-hmm. I doubt if these people even were expecting tongues. It just happened. Right. Cornelius probably had no idea it was going to happen. Right. But when his heart lifted up in faith and he grasped it and he believed it, boom, it started happening. So, uh, so my, my answer, first of all, is, well, look, that's God's idea, so he right. can do what he wants. But God is a God of order and design. So mm-hmm. I see two very prominent points here, uh, or, or maybe three. But the first one is you have to recall the Tower of Babel, where mm-hmm. tongues became a sign of disunity, scattering right. the nation so they would not fulfill their own right. human purpose. In, tongue, in, in the day of Pentecost, so speaking in tongues, you see a reversal where God is bringing people from every nation back into one body. Mm-hmm. Now they're unified. Mm-hmm. Now they can accomplish their purpose because they're submitting to God. Right. So I see a powerful biblical symbolism and typology of reversal of the curse right. of Babel, disunity to unity, man's will to God's will, uh, people mm-hmm. scattered to people united right. under God. So that's number one. Number two, I look at James 3, which talks about the tongue is the most unruly member member of the body. You can can control everything in your body easier than you can your tongue. Right. And so isn't that interesting to think when God fills a person, Mm -hmm. the symbol, the last thing to go, the last thing to surrender, and so he's able to use your tongue. Not against your will. It's not like you're... Possessed or forced, but you voluntarily submit. Mm -hmm. And think about that. Before you speak something, uh, you consciously think about it. So so Mm -hmm. when you speak in tongues, you are surrendering your conscious uh, cognitive control, which is the essence of the human being, to God. You're you're surrendering that to Him. Right. So it's not just your physical organ, your tongue, but right. your, your, your intellect, your emotion, your, your will. innermost being, yeah. your will, everything about you that's human, right. you're surrendering to God, and now He's using the last right. member to, to capitulate, right. your tongue. So I think it's an amazing um, symbol in that regard. And then third, you could think of many signs of the Spirit moving upon people. Mm-hmm. So the sound of wind and the flames of fire signified the presence of God had come to the room mm-hmm. and the presence of God had come specifically for each person. So I think the, the initial experience of Pentecost, when the, when the wind came, everybody realized, oh, it's now here. The promise mm-hmm. is now here. Right. When it, the tongue sat on each upon them, I think they realized because they may not have known before. This is not just a corporate experience. This is an individual Vigil, experience right. for each person to believe. Right. But those are external signs. And we can have many signs even today when God's presence moves in a room or in a person. They may shake, they may cry, they may laugh, mm-hmm. you know, they, they may right. tremble. You know, but these are all external. external. Right. But when you speak in tongues, you're speaking from the inside mm-hmm. out. So the, the indication is God has taken up right. residence. Right. And notice also, this sign works for every culture, every right. language, every right. race. What other sign could you design because there are many things that might be symbolic in American culture 
that have exactly the opposite meaning or no right. meaning in another right. culture. It's hard to think of a universal sign. I think right. I know we we uh, think that. But if if I do this, what does that mean to you? It might mean goodbye. But in Korean, it means come here. So okay. even the most right. or or if I do this, right, that means yes, probably to you. But right. to a Bulgarian, it means no. <laughs> yeah. Or if I do this, right, that means yes. Uh, so, yeah, exactly. so even what we think of as the most obvious signs right. don't translate universally. Right. But when someone speaks in tongues, no matter what their language, it is a sign that can be recognized in right. every culture of the world. So, so I do think there are several good reasons that make sense. Yeah. But of course, God's the one who did <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're just kind of you know chasing after His logic right. in that right. sense. I, you know, I, I want to delve a little bit deeper into this because I think there's an, there's an interesting kind of discussion that's developed. Um, the idea or making a distinction between talking about tongues as the evidence, initial evidence of the Spirit infilling versus talking about tongues as a sign of the Spirit infilling. Um, now, my experience growing up in a UPC church, uh, those terms were probably both used and probably yes. used interchangeably. Yes. But there's been some uh, recent discussion, uh, Frank Machia is a name that comes to mind, his uh, Assemblies of God theologian, that, that has talked more about the, the importance of talking about tongues as a sign, that maybe yep. evidence is a too modern of a term. Yes. Uh, uh, so how, yeah. how do we interact with I that? agree with that. And I would say in our typical UPCI terminology, we might see them as interchangeable and use them interchangeably. Mm -hmm. I do believe the, the Assemblies of God, their position has been historically the initial physical evidence. Mm -hmm. And they say initial because it's not necessarily the only or the most lasting or the most important. And physical because there could be other signs, your, your internal feelings, but mm -hmm. as far as a physical manifestation. So they've tried to define it like that. Actually, the UPCI fundamental doctrine mm -hmm. says sign. And I really like right. that better because okay. you're right. Evidence sounds very modern, technical, scientific, almost like God has to prove himself to us right. or we have to prove ourselves to right. God. And so when we use that language of evidence, it could shift the focus to what we are supposed to do or what we have to do. And it can lead to misapplications of people trying to make themselves speak in tongues. And I, I actually observed a pastor do this. Um, he didn't stay with us, fortunately. <laughs> but he actually was praying over the person. And he said, say, ba 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 That's the Holy Ghost. Say, ba 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 Well, that is twisting the whole right. conversation away from faith, repentance, surrender right. to what God wants to do in you trying to make it. And, and people, you know... And I do believe there's a value in saying praise to God and you, you're kind of getting lost in praise so you're not consciously trying to plan everything. So say Jesus. But you almost get the impression that in techniques they're almost trying to say imitate us or get so tangled up in your tongue that you mm -hmm. say nonsense and that'll end up being the Holy Ghost. And actually in the charismatic movement, uh, I have an article from Charisma Magazine where they actually said that. You say nonsense words because that helps you get your mind clear of stuff mm -hmm. and then God can start speaking through you. Well, I'm sorry. I think in many cases that becomes fake or imitation. Right, right. It's not the real thing. So that word evidence can cause you to start looking at the human dimension where sign focuses, look, this is something God right. is doing right. and we're just 
making note of the fact. It's drawing, tongues draws our intent, attention mm-hmm. to something God is doing. Right. And I really think that is better. Mm-hmm. And I'm thankful for our spiritual forefathers of yes. the UPCI, yes. whether they fully intended everything right. we're discussing. I think they chose the much better word right. to say. Much more what, biblical term. Yes, yeah. much more biblical. This yeah. is what God is doing. The, the right. focus is on being filled with the Spirit. Right. And so in principle, you know, however God wants to do it is, is okay with us. Right. The, the key is not tongues. The key is the Spirit. Right. But in fact, God has chosen tongues as a, a sign, sign so mm-hmm. we will know to draw our attention. Right. But that still gets it in the proper biblical perspective that what saves us is not tongues. Right. What right. saves us is the Holy Spirit, right. God's work in us. And tongues becomes a sign. Right. Right. That's, that's a good point. Now, you brought up, and I want to move ahead a little bit, because okay. you mentioned in this, right. you mentioned the charismatic movement. Yes. And I think that probably, in this discussion, is probably one of the key areas uh, of distinction okay. that, we, yes. that we need to look at. So, um, so let's talk about, we use these terms, Pentecostal and charismatic. Theologically speaking, what are those what is the fundamental distinction? Okay. Now, I think for us, it's a practi- we, we think in practical yeah, yeah. terms, but theologically, that, I know that has a special... Well, first of all, us out with that. I want to say some good things about sure. the charismatic movement or charismatic. The word charismatic in itself is t- meaning is talking about the spiritual gifts. So in mm-hmm. principle, um, any, any church that believes in spiritual gifts is charismatic in, in that right. theological sense. So we are charismatic in that sense. Historically, that term has been attached to people in various denominations, the Roman Catholic Church and mainline Christian churches. Usually in the 50s and 60s, some of them started receiving the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, and it was from the witness of classical Pentecostals, basically. But what happened that was different uh, in the 60s, instead of leaving their denominations, most of them stayed within their denominations. So that was the first thing. Um, they didn't see this as a total change of life. They felt our change of doctrine or lifestyle. Mm-hmm. In essence, the original Pentecostals at the turn of the 20th century, they saw this reception of the Holy Spirit as, first of all, as a change of doctrine. So they're leaving their old denominations, right. their old doctrines behind. Right. Second of all, it's a change of identity. So now they're looking for a new Pentecostal mm-hmm. lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, of the miraculous and the life right. of holiness. And so it's a very clear break right. um, doctrinally and experientially or, or organizationally. Yeah, organizationally yeah. as well. Yeah. They yeah. left their old organizations. They eventually, most of them, formed new organizations. So the charismatic move was different in that they said it's a personal experience. So we don't have to change our doctrine. We don't have to change our organizational affiliation. We don't even have to change our lifestyle. So, right. for instance, if you're smoking, drinking, you probably would continue doing all right. those same things. Right. It doesn't really have an impact. So that was the first thing. Second thing is, instead of seeing it as a distinct event, the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the initial sign of tongues, mm-hmm. that's kind of hard to mesh with traditional theology. So for a Roman Catholic, well, I already have received the Holy Spirit right. when I was a baby and when I was confirmed. or. A Protestant, well, I already have the Holy Spirit when I confess Jesus as my Savior. Right. So, so no, I'm not going to see this as receiving the Holy Spirit. I'm going to receive it as releasing the Spirit that's already within In me, me. Right. or actualizing it. So they begin to separate tongues. So then tongues becomes 
a prayer language or it becomes a mm -hmm. spiritual mm -hmm. right. discipline. Um, so it's not necessarily a distinct experience that has a sign called tongues. It's just kind of morphing into a prayer language. Mm -hmm. um, and then many of them would say then that receiving the Holy Spirit, you don't necessarily speak in tongues. Right. They're not the same. Right. So you can already have the Spirit and not speak in tongues. And tongues then becomes a prayer language that's in your subsequent Christian life. Right. Um, so, so classical Pentecostals, which would include us, which includes the Sons of God, Church of God, traditionally would say, no, there is a definite experience called the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the initial sign right. of speaking in tongues. Most charismatics would not be so firm. They would say tongues is just a spiritual gift. Yeah. It's just a One prayer of. language. Yes. Which has led, as, as time has progressed, that the vast majority of people within charismatic churches or movements no longer speak in tongues, right. only a minority. And I was surprised to see this, but the research shows, uh, as you would see like in the Dictionary of Pentecostal and Charismatic Movements, those churches that call themselves charismatic and spirit-filled, non-denominational, etc., Perhaps as few as five or ten percent of their membership actually speaks in tongues. Wow. Now, of course, they also have a very loose definition of tongues, so that right. it's not always what we think of as a distinctive right. language. It could be just some kind of generic or ecstatic or even imitated utterance right. that they would interpret as tongues. And right. as a pastor, I had a number of people coming into our church from the charismatic movement that told me, you know, I thought I had spoken in tongues or I thought I'd received the Holy Spirit. But when I actually had this experience at our church, right. I realized what I had before right. was not the same. Right. I, I would not jump to the conclusion that charismatic people don't receive the Holy Ghost. I do right. believe many genuinely, genuinely receive the yes. same Holy Ghost, yes. the Holy Ghost, yes. the Holy Spirit, and do speak in tongues. I'm just pointing out it's a much looser definition and a much right. looser experience within the charismatic movement. Right. So it takes a lot more, you know, because there is, it takes a lot more discernment yes. to, to work. Just because yeah. they say they're charismatic does not mean mm -hmm. they have the same experience. Or, right. or just because they say, yes, I have the Holy Spirit. Right. Or even, yes, I speak with tongues. Right. You have to dig into that. Right. And so as, as a pastor, even as preaching today in, in my public message, mm -hmm. a lot of times I try not to assume my audience understands me. So come receive the Holy Ghost or come, you'll, you'll speak in right. tongues. Well, that may mean different things to different people in the right. audience. Even those who say, yes, I understand that. Right. They may have been taught in the charismatic movement. So I try to elaborate, you know, you'll be, you'll be filled with the God's spirit. You will speak miraculously in mm -hmm. a language mm -hmm. you never learned. Right, right. So, so theologically for us then, and I think, and I've heard you speak about this and others too, there's a difference in apostolic doctrine between talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit and especially in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, the gift of tongues. Yes. So, uh, so talk to us a little bit about how we make that Absolutely. work. Absolutely. And uh, it, it, what we say in our, uh, our, our official documents, uh, mm -hmm. the, the tongues is the same in F essence, but different in, in purpose or different in function. Right. I think that's true. And here's what we mean. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 talks about tongues in the life of the church and tongues mm -hmm. as a spiritual gift. So if you read uh, chapter 12 and chapter 14, you'll find that for Christians, there can be a variety of spiritual gifts. Mm -hmm. And one of those is 
different kinds of tongues. And Paul even asked, do all speak with tongues? And the implication is, no, um, not everybody speaks with tongues. Okay. But that's in the context of the public life of the church. So then 1 Corinthians 14 gives some guidelines. If somebody speaks in tongues in a public worship, uh, let it be by most two or three. Um, pray for the interpretation. If there's no interpretation, you know, be silent, speak to yourself, and speak to God. Mm-hmm. But also in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. I, I sing with the Spirit. I sing with the understanding. I pray with the Spirit. I pray with the understanding. So he spoke in tongues in his personal prayer life. And as I just mentioned, he said, if you give a public message in tongues, you pray for the interpretation. Right. Is there no interpretation? You can be silent as far as the public right. worship, right. public attention, getting the attention of the whole congregation. But he goes on to say, you can speak to yourself and to God. So he says, you can still speak in tongues mm-hmm. for your own benefit and direct it to God. You're just not getting the attention of the whole congregation right. when you do right. so. So what we see in 1 Corinthians then, it's different from Acts. Because mm-hmm. in Acts, 120 all received, all spoke in tongues at right. the same time. Right. They didn't do it one at a time, at the most two or three, and they didn't pray for interpretation, right. and they didn't stop when there was right. no interpretation. Likewise, in Acts 10, household of Cornelius, they all spoke in tongues simultaneously. They didn't mm-hmm. follow these rules. Acts 19, all 12 spoke in tongues. They didn't follow these rules. So what's going on? That lets us know that 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is talking about tongues in the public worship, right. not tongues when you receive right. the Holy Spirit, not when, as the sign of the Spirit conversion. Right. So this is a biblical distinction because Acts and 1 Corinthians treat tongues differently. Mm-hmm. The people in Acts didn't follow the rules of 1 right. Corinthians. So you can see there are two different purposes. Right. And so from that, I would say 1 Corinthians is talking primarily about how do you use tongues in public worship? And in that context, no, not every Christian is going to give a message in tongues. Mm-hmm. I, my whole life, I've never given, I've spoken in tongues many times. I've mm-hmm. never given a message in tongues. Mm-hmm. My wife has, and she's mm-hmm. also given interpretations. Mm-hmm. That's a gift that God has used her in. He's never mm-hmm. used me in. Right. So I'm not one of those who speak in tongues right. in public worship. Right. Now, in my personal prayer or when we're all praying together or mm-hmm. when I'm praying for people, in the altar, then I may often speak in tongues mm-hmm. in that group context, but that's to myself and to God. Right. It's not speaking aloud to the whole right. congregation to give right. them a word from God to be interpreted. Right. And so I do see, uh, you might regard that, uh, I, I would say then, just looking at the biblical evidence, there's tongues as the initial sign when somebody mm-hmm. receives the Holy Spirit. And that's universal. Yes. That's everybody. And there's tongues as a public message, mm-hmm. which only some people will do and only right. happens sometimes. And right. you pray for the interpretation. And then there's tongues in your personal prayer life, right. uh, which could be for everyone in appropriate times. Right. Right. Um, not to take over the whole congregational worship, but in right. a personal prayer. Now, what we might call the gift of tongues probably would be focused on that public uh, demonstration. Right. Uh, so I really think Everybody who receives the Holy Spirit does speak in tongues initially. I think potentially could speak in tongues at various give times messages in, tongues, in yeah. their prayer life and could yeah, yeah. give a public message, but not all of them are right. going to do so. The only thing that's universal and required 
then is that a sign of the initial infilling. Right. And we assume that everyone in the Corinthian church had had an yes. initial conversion. Yes. And you know what's very interesting? The people yeah. that would disagree with what I just said, mm-hmm. they would not have anyone speaking in tongues at all in their services. Okay. So yeah. they're hardly the best ones yeah. to interpret the passage <laughs> if they say, well, right. I mean... At least we follow the Corinthians and having tongues frequently manifested. Right. Right. These other interpreters, they don't right. match Acts or First Corinthians or, or anywhere mm-hmm. else. Even mm-hmm. if they theoretically say, well, it's possible that some Christian right. could speak in Practically. tongues. Practically. They don't really expect mm-hmm. it. And if somebody did stand up in their public worship service and did speak in tongues, right. they would probably ask them to be seated and right. be escorted out. Okay, so I want to circle back. We, got a, we had a question come in um, from a viewer, Scott, and thank you so much for this question. It's a good question, kind of back a little bit, but it okay. still relates. Um, so the idea that tongues can be faked, like, you know, in, sure. in classes in charismatic churches and other places where you're teaching people to speak in tongues. If, t- if tongues is deemed necessary and can be faked, isn't that problematic, and, and what do we no, do about that? No, and that's a good question, but I guess if we were looking at more evidence, uh-huh. we might be a greater concern. But, you know, anything that God does, it to some level, could be imitated by the devil, or could be, I say anything, I, I, I'm just talking in general terms. When there's a genuine work of God, right. there's also potential for uh, a false work of the devil or a human imitation. It could right. be sincere or it could be deliberately malicious. Right. Uh, but even, even miracles, we find in the example of Moses, Moses were, was doing some miracles by the power of God. The magicians, the magicians went along for a while at least right. with some sort of, whether it's demonic imitation or uh, or. or or, or trick a, a sleight of hand, but right. uh, so you know that's always the the possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, but the practical matter, it's not an issue because when we teach it properly, then that will tend to weed out human imitations. You know, the, right. the examples I gave, people are sincere; they think this is really what it is. But right. when they're actually taught and exposed to the real. Right. They understand, no, it's not my human efforts. It's, it's got to be a work right. of God. Um, this, and then there could be some cases of demonic. There, there, there are mm-hmm. uh, reports right. of speaking in tongues among pagan religions. And there sure. are people right. who demonically possessed who manifest miraculous things such right. as this. And the antidote to that is the gift called discerning of spirits. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've seen that in operation. I've personally experienced myself where... You can easily tell, tell the difference. Yes. The difference, yes. and probably most Pentecostal congregations can testify. This most mature saints can say they can recall a case where someone got up and spoke in tongues, and they either their spirit instantly said, "Yes, this is real," right, or instantly they said, "You know what? The guy might be sincere, but there's nothing to right. this." Right. right. Or in a few cases, people might have well encountered somebody that they knew that is not of God. Right. And I've seen that happen where either I've been the person in charge or I watched the person in charge when it was of the variety of a sincere person maybe yeah, getting a excited. Yeah, yeah, maybe God is speaking yeah. to them yes. and they just think it's right. for everybody. That usually just gets passed over. Usually right. we just start worshiping, we start singing, we start praying. Mm-hmm. And then if God is trying to speak, usually 
a moment later, someone else will come and everybody breathes a sigh of relief because they know that's it. <laughs> right, right. And in the rare cases where it's been demonic, I actually remember a case where a pastor, as soon as this person started, he stood up and he said, sit down, that is not of God, you're out of order. Boom, wow. and he just, just shut, shut it down. It down. Yeah. So I think the discerning of spirits right. will let you know if it's of God, if it's of a demonic spirit, or, or if it's uh, right. a human manifestation, because right. there's the human spirit. So uh, while yes, that could be an issue, 99.9% um, .9 of the time we right. see someone speaking in tongues, we don't have to worry, well, right. is this really of God or not? There's a witness with our spirit, there's a witness with their spirit. Right. And usually when they finish praying, I ask them, what happened? How do you yeah, feel? Exactly. You feel great? And, and usually it's not only the fact that they heard themselves speak in tongues, but the fact they're overjoyed, they're full right. of love, they're right. exuberant, they're excited, right. you know. Right. There is that internal witness. witness. And that's why, you know, when we talk about the physical evidence, there's more than just the, right. the physical evidence. There is yeah. a whole combination of something happening right. in your life. That's a good answer. And I think that's, that's helpful. Um, so, so I, I guess, you know, I, I thought about we, in prepping for this, thinking about, you know, maybe some practical questions that uh, crop up, get, uh, and, and things that we could talk about as far as like the practice of speaking in tongues, what we should expect. Um, should you, when you're praying, do you feel you should always seek to speak with tongues? Uh, no, because Paul said, I will pray with the Spirit, I will pray with the understanding. There's okay. a time for both. Right. So here's the way I approach prayer. Um, I, I try to approach prayer from the point of view. It starts with our own conscious mm -hmm. worship. Uh, and I use the Lord's Prayer as a model. You, you start with worshiping God, recognizing His sovereignty, submitting to His will, asking for His blessing. Then you go into your own needs and petitions and, and, and your, the things that you're concerned about. Well, somewhere along that in that process, as you get into the depth of the Spirit, you may start speaking in tongues, or mm -hmm. you may not. Um, so I don't necessarily try to push mm -hmm. to speak right. in tongues right. every time I pray. I just want it to happen naturally. naturally. Right. And Romans 8 comes into play. Sometimes we don't know what to pray right. for as we right. are. The Spirit maketh intercession for us. With right. groanings cannot be uttered. And while I don't think that's limited tongues, it could involve inarticulate groanings and sighings. It could, it could be words in English that suddenly we listen to ourselves mm -hmm. and say, where did that come yeah. from? I started praying I about this. this. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't exactly. even thinking about that person right. or that situation. And suddenly I'm saying these things. Right. But I do also think it's tongue. So praying in the Spirit, Jude talks about that as well. Mm -hmm. So you have Romans 8, you have 1 Corinthians 14, uh, you have Jude. Here are three examples of praying in the Holy Ghost. Right. While I don't think that is limited tongues, I do think it's when the Spirit takes over your prayer and mm -hmm. speaks through you, which could include tongues. Right. So I think speaking in tongues should be a normal part mm -hmm. of our prayer life, but I don't think it's something we try to make happen. Um, because I think mm -hmm. when you do that, it's almost right. like you're rushing to that. Right. And you shouldn't. You shouldn't mm -hmm. bypass there are times where you need to really engage your mind. There are times right. where you need to think through mm -hmm. uh, because prayer doesn't really change God. It changes us. I mean, right. we don't yeah. pray to get God to do something he doesn't want to do. Right. <laughs> we, get God, we pray to align ourselves with, with God. God. And so yeah. sometimes we need to be thinking, meditating, articulating, revising, right. uh, you know, listening to ourselves. It, 
there needs to be that engagement. So I think speaking in tongues should come out of the normal right. prayer life, but not something we try to force or hasten or jump to or use exclusively as this, this is the best prayer and the only prayer. It might be the best for that particular time, but there are other times right. where you need to express yourself. And Paul even talks about that in the group setting. Mm -hmm. you, you need to pray where people mm -hmm. understand what you're saying. Uh, now, I, and I'll just give my experience. What I found is usually I start praying in tongues more readily in intercessory prayer. Mm -hmm. So when I begin praying, especially with someone even, right. uh, it seems just to break through into tongues. And maybe that's connected to the fact, I don't always know what I should be praying for. Right. I may have a few things I know, or God may give me things that I, that I don't know about the person, but when I pray for them, that person hears mm -hmm. me say that, and later they come back and say, well, how did you know <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. what I needed? Right. And I say, well, I didn't know. God was directing my prayers. But I think often it switches into tongues because I quickly get to the limit of my comprehension of the situation right. and the Spirit begins to intercede through me. Whereas when I'm praying for myself, um, maybe I'm more aware mm -hmm. and need to be more aware mm -hmm. of, of what, what I'm supposed to be saying. Right. Good. Good answers. Um, so let me ask this question then too, and, and, and referring back, I guess, here to your uh, maybe your pastoral experience. In, in that... Uh, what what were some of the most common stumbling blocks that people seem to encounter when it came to speaking in tongues? Well, I, I would say uh, historically there have been a number of examples of people in the church mm -hmm. for months or even years they're seeking the Holy Ghost and don't speak right. in tongues, and that always concerned me. But as a pastor, I try to treat it like this: it's an expectation, it's by faith, it's going to happen. Right. Don't get uptight, don't worry about it. And I usually found that by teaching principles of repentance and faith and surrender, in a few days, weeks, or maybe months, sooner mm -hmm. or later, they would receive the Holy Spirit. So actually in the life of our church, we did not have many examples of that. Okay. In the rare case where we did, there were some, I felt like they did speak in tongues or people praying with them felt like they did. But for whatever reason, they were expecting something so dramatic or so almost God just taking possession right. that they couldn't actually understand or comprehend. And those, you right. shake your head and say, well, I think they did receive the Spirit, but we'll just keep praying for them to be right. confirmed. Right. And that would be my answer. You know, let's pray for God to confirm it. Okay. Um, so I would say through proper teaching and prayer, you can lead almost everybody to an experience of receiving the Holy Ghost. In okay. the very rare cases, you just have to put them in the hands of God. <laughs> like God, work on them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, and that's probably... A, yeah, and love them, treat them as part of the church, right. but right. just continue with that expectation yeah. that it will be confirmed to them. Yes. God knows how to deal with all our issues. Yes. That's what we can trust in, I suppose. Well, we're getting really close to the end of our time here. I mean, there's many more things we could talk about unpacking a little bit of 1 Corinthians 14, the rules, the, how those you know, apply to modern churches that... You know, the first Corinthian, the Corinthian church was pretty wild if you read those descriptions. Yeah. Yeah. And so seeing how those rules apply, uh, is there anything particular you would want to say about that? Well, I, I would simply say we need the gifts of the Spirit in operation in our church. Right. And uh, so there is room for a little, and whenever you have that happen, there is all a little room for getting right. In, in right. kind of a fleshly thing. But I guess it's better to have a little bit of uh, wildness than to have no work of <laughs> completely God. dead. Yes. And yeah. now in our major churches, large churches, Sunday morning service, 
it may be relatively rare in the sense that everything, you've got so many people and so forth. Mm -hmm. So in the smaller groups, you may have more manifestations. But I would also say, even in large churches, I was pastor of one, there were several people that God would use at key moments to speak to the whole church. Mm -hmm. um, and a mature congregation knows not everybody's gonna do that. In a small right. group setting, uh, you may have a lot more variety of, and opportunity. In a larger group, is, is going to be, you're going to want more trusted mm -hmm. voices. But I do think even in the largest churches, there should be some people that God uses and the church recognizes that He can speak through prophecy or tongues right. and interpretation. And I hope that is always part of the life right. of our church. It needs to be. Amen. Amen. Well, is there, uh, I think we're out of time almost. Is there anything else you'd like to add or say? Any announcements to make or any well, news I, you Well, I share? think um, that, that I would just summarize by saying mm -hmm. uh, tongues is obviously important or we wouldn't be mentioning it, but our focus should not be tongues. Mm -hmm. Our focus should be faith in Jesus Christ, right. being filled with the Holy Spirit right. and letting God lead us. So anything, you, you've heard me advocate tongues, but I don't want to reduce it, well, you have to speak in tongues every day. Or if you're really right. spiritual, you, you, you know, you're not spiritual until you speak in tongues. Or you've right. got to, you're not really praying until you speak in tongues. Trying to reduce it to a mechanical thing right. or translating your experience into some kind of a theological rule. Right. Sometimes in our zeal, we try to urge people. Right. And I certainly want people to be sensitive to the Spirit, praying and living in the Spirit. But I, we can't reduce it to mechanical rules. It always has to go back living by faith in Jesus Christ, right. being filled with the Spirit, and letting God operate freely in our lives right. and in our worship, uh, and in our worship services right. as He wills. Right. That's, that's a great place to end, I think, today. So thank you all so much for joining us today. Um, I hope you enjoyed this time together, and I look forward to hearing from our Well, speakers. if you did not enjoy that, we don't do it often, and you made it. But if you did enjoy it, like myself, I think he is one of the greatest teachers that God has ever gifted this world with. He just brings things to light with such clarity. And uh, I think he did a, an incredible job explaining not only spirit, tongues, gift of tongues, our approach to praying with people. Um, and that is on YouTube, so it's not like it's private to us. You could go to YouTube and search... I think it's just Holy Spirit and Tongues UPCI. And you'll come across this if you wanted to watch it or study it a little more because everything he said was so well explained that for whatever it's worth as the local pastor of this church, I wholeheartedly put my stamp of approval on every word that he said. Like I'm in total alignment with every word he said. Um, and so I love his approach. I love his belief in it, but yet also his grace and approach to people who, he, he doesn't say, hey, it's not just a UPC thing. You're not, it's not like you're not spiritual if you haven't spoken in tongues. He's saying that, but yet biblically, it was just, as you can tell, that's why I took a Wednesday night to show it. So um, if you still have questions, I'm here. I would love to do my best to answer those questions if you still have any issues or concerns. Um, but why don't we just stand to our feet, and let's just uh, close in prayer tonight. God, we love you, and we are so thankful, so thankful for your word. 
We're so thankful that you have chosen to pour out your spirit upon all flesh, Lord, Jews, Gentiles alike. Jesus, we're thankful for people like Brother Bernard, who you've blessed this world and our organization with, who teach with such compassion, clarity, conviction, and anointing. And God, I just pray that you would help anybody in this place who is just hungry for more of your spirit in their lives, that you would manifest yourself in a marvelous way, Lord. And that, Lord, anyone who desires the spirit and has not received yet the sign of speaking in other tongues, that that would happen for them, Lord Jesus, because it is such an incredible, powerful experience. And so, God, Lord, I just pray that you would help this church every time we have a prayer meeting, a, a church service, Lord, that the atmosphere, Lord, would be such where you would feel it, Lord, appropriate for your spirit to move and manifest itself, Lord God, that, that everything we do would be done with wholehearted uh, just uh, energy, but also anointing by your presence and spirit and power, Lord. Lord Jesus, help us to take what we've heard tonight and to hide it in our hearts so that maybe we might understand it better for ourselves, but also be able to explain it better to someone who may have questions about what we believe or what we have experienced or desire to experience, Jesus. So God, I just pray, Lord, bless each person as they go, whether they're tuning in online or here in person. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.